As for now, let's talk about grace. One person is excited. I love it. Ollie, if you need someone to be excited about something, Ollie is your guy. Tell me what, if you're feeling down and not very excited, feel like no one's excited for you, then Ollie will quickly change that. I think, um, how good is it? Grace. I've heard people say, what a great message. And then my response to, it's not just a great message, it's the message. It's, uh, it's, that's it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke shared before how, uh, if, in case you missed the news flash 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and rose again for your sin. It's like in Dumb and Dumber. Anyone like Dumb and Dumber? When he walks past the news article of man landing on the moon and he goes, Wow! We've done it, everybody! We've landed on the moon! And it was a missed the news flash of 30 odd years ago. Anyway, just in case you missed it, Jesus died on a cross, rose again for you. And uh, so that's what we're talking about last month. It was so good that uh, we thought we'd do another month and we could just do month after month. We could just keep going for the whole year, year in, year out, like the Apostle Paul did and go and preach the gospel. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's a power of salvation for all who believe. And uh, so tonight, I tell you what, if we, honestly, if we begin to unpack, you've, you've heard the beginning of it. You've heard the tip of the iceberg about what this grace thing means, this topic of grace. You've heard the tip of the iceberg. Now, so if we delved into everything that that meant for you in your world right now in 2012, we literally will need to preach on it all year and then go again the next year after because the implications of what Jesus did on the cross is just incredible. And so I just want to touch on one of those this evening, if that's all right. And I think one of the great benefits and one of the great implications of, of grace, of this underserved favor of Jesus dying on the cross so that we may have relationship with Christ is that very fact that we can actually now draw near to God. You may take that for granted. You might go, well, that's fantastic. But do you know, most people aren't really drawing near to God. You know, most people, when you look at uh, unbelievers, they're not drawing near to God. When you look at Christians, a lot of Christians aren't drawing as near to God as they could be. If you knew where you stood before God, I'm telling you what, you would not have an arm's length between you and Him. You'd be running into His embrace. But too many Christians, I believe, are, they don't know where they stand. They don't know exactly what has happened and what this grace means in their life. And so there's this reluctance, this stepping back, that this uncertainty, if you like, that says, well, I've heard that I can have relationship with Jesus, but I don't know, is that like me or is that just Luke and Candace? Or is that my friends? Or is that me? I can actually draw near to God? as this fearful thing of, oh, but what if he sees me? What if he knows me? Well, he does, and he still says you can draw near to him. And there's this, but, but can I draw near to God? Or maybe... I'm not worthy. Maybe I don't, I'm not even allowed to draw near to God. Well, can I tell you that if we can get the scriptures up on the screen as I go along, James 4 verse 8 was one of the key scriptures for me as a young person uh, growing up in the Lord. And it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want to tell you right now that God's A plan for your life, the one thing that he's passionate about seeing is you to be drawing near to him. It's not your success. It's not your ability it's not your behavior. It's not your morality that God is concerned about in your world. His main concern for you is that you would draw near to him. It's as simple as that. He just wants to be with you. Paul says, I count all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ. 
not for the sake of being perfect, not for the sake of living up to his expectation, for the sake of knowing him. And, um, you know, I was thinking of little Joey when I was thinking about this, and she's a good judge of character. It took her a while to trust me, and she still probably isn't quite there yet, but uh, I'm working on it. And, uh, and, and we're over at the Flaxman's for dinner one night and I was just, I pulled every trick out of the book, throwing things up and catching it behind my back and that one worked. And so we really, you know, we got along and never forget when she, she does this thing when she wants you to get, wants you to pick her up where she just puts her hands up, right? She goes like that. And uh, I'd seen it happen to so many people and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool that they, you know, she's into them. She doesn't do that for me ever. And so this night, I'd thrown the things up, caught them behind my back. I was really winning with, with Joey. And then all of a sudden, she's laughing, and then she goes like this. And I was like, yes, that is so awesome. And I was just like, I feel so good about myself right now. And uh, I thought, imagine, I can only imagine the parents when that first happens for their child or when they, they first say mommy or daddy. How incredible is that? Imagine God the Father, the person who gave you your father or mother's heart sitting in heaven, waiting for, your, for, their, for his child to just put their hands up to him and say, God, I want to draw near to you. And, um, but as I said before, so many Christians are at an arm's length about, and, and they're sort of like, they hold God there. And I don't know, there's so, many re, there's so many ways that manifests in your life and how you can tell if that's you. So if you, if you beat yourself up when you make a mistake, chances are you're not quite sure that God is for you, that you can draw near to God. If you, um, if you come into worship after you've done something wrong and you just sort of, you're a bit like, oh, God's probably a bit mad at me, I'm not sure, then that's probably you. If you're, just, if you're not absolutely passionate about getting into God's presence and getting to know Him, then may I suggest that you've, you've got a li- little bit more revelation to get about His heart for you and just, the, just what is available for you to walk into. And I... And, and so let me just clarify exactly what I'm saying here. This reluctance for us to really draw into God and to press into God and to be comfortable in His presence. See, most people, a lot of people aren't even comfortable in God's presence. They're not even comfortable. There's just this, this thing on the inside that's second-guessing whenever they're around God. And I want to say this. It's because when you think of approaching God, you are still doing it based on your own merits, based on your own behaviors, based on your own worth. And as long as you do that, as long as you are coming before God based on how much you've behaved yourself this week or how much you've prayed or worshiped God this week or how, much, how, how worthy you are in of yourself, you are always going to be reluctant about drawing near to God in the fullest way that you possibly can. I spoke a few like in January about um, relationship first religion. Tonight I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. You might be here and you've heard a whole lot about religion. We had a young guy, he's not here, which is sort of cool, but <laughs> it's not, but I can talk about it. Come on Friday night and he said, I go to a, I go to a, 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 public, a private school, a religious school. He goes, I believe in God, but I don't like the how all how religion is put forward to me at school i don't like the sound of it it's all rules and regulations and it's, and it's religion and that doesn't sound good to me but i believe that god's real and i said to him well that you've come to the right place because i don't like that stuff either and i believe god's real 
And I believe that he wants you to be in a relationship with him and to draw near to him. And so every time that you come to a place where you approach God based on your own merits and on your own works, what you're doing is that everything we're talking about in grace, you're putting yourself out of the grace of God and into the old covenant, which has passed away 2,000 years ago. Do you know that you're putting yourself under something that no longer applies to you? You're putting yourself back into something that Jesus died to pay to free you from. And so, and do you know what Paul says about that? He says it's foolishness. Galatians 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? It's like, you know, someone that would have a picnic in the middle of the freeway. You'd say, Are you so foolish that you would do this thing? Are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by human effort? And Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. The gospel of grace is not an entry to the kingdom of God. Can I tell you that right now? Or is, it's not just an entry to the kingdom of God. It is the way you live in the kingdom of God. You don't get saved by the grace of God and say, God, you're so gracious, thank you that I'm now bound for heaven and then now I'm stuck on earth trying to live my life, finding perfection and live a holy life. You live in the grace of God. God is much less concerned about your weaknesses than you are. He's much less concerned about them. And so we don't, we don't try and earn, we don't get saved and then go, okay, well, now I've got to be on my best behavior. I've heard um, story after story of people saying, well, once I sort some things out, I'll come to church. And it's just like, well, that don't even bother because when you get here, you're not going to get the gospel of grace anyway because you're going to be still living in your own works. It's not about the gift of God to get into heaven and then live life on earth, busting your gut, trying to please God in your day-to-day relationship with him. Uh, and so today I'm, when I'm talking about works, I'm going to use the word law and works interchangeably. Is that okay? So the old covenant law the, the rules and regulations, which were, Paul says was about a self-righteousness, um, a, a, a pleasing God by the things that we do. The law is, can be interchanged, I think, for us today as saying works. So living under the law is living under works, living with a relationship with God by the things that we do. And do you know from the very moment that the law was given, there was a distance between God and people? Why don't you turn to um, Exodus 20 just to get your... It's going to be up on the screen, but get your Bibles out or else you'll probably fall asleep. Um, Hopefully not, but give it a go. And this is when the law, the the commandments, the righteous standard of God of what... of, of this. If you want to be holy by what you do, this is what you need to live up to. God delivers uh, the law to the people. And then the very next verse, it says this... When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Isn't that amazing that, this, that God says These are, this is the standard to live up to? 
And uh, then the people freak out and go, wow, that's just incredible. And they retreat from the very presence of God. And so I want to ask you, what is it about this workspace system that makes people repel from God? What is it about the law? What is it about trying to prove yourself by what you do before God that causes people to be at a distance, at a distance with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father? I want to tell you this is uh, one major part of that today. Happens because, and, and if you're taking notes, write some of this down because I like sort of throwing things in there that you can jot down. This happens because, do you know when God gave that standard to, of, to the people of, of God, he did, it wasn't a standard that he expected, expected them to live up to. He didn't expect them to live up to it. It wasn't a standard that he said, all these rules and regulations... Now, this is what you need to live out in your life. In actual fact, what he was, he was announcing a standard of living, a standard of righteousness that was impossible for the people to live up to. It was impossible for them to live up to it. And that's the very reason he put it in place. Let me show you some scriptures. Now, because tonight I want to give you some scripture and I want to, you know, just go a little bit deeper into some of the, of the background at leading up to this grace of God. And so it's something that you'll, you can spend years studying. And I just want to start you giving you a little bit more tonight. So track with me and hopefully by the end of this, some of it will make sense. Romans 3.20, check out the scripture on the, uh, on the screen. It says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight, or you could say no one will be declared in right standing with God by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The purpose of God saying, here is my high standard, was to actually make us realize that we are sinners. It was never meant to make Christians holy. It was meant for sinners to realize they needed a savior. And so, when, so, so this standard, it wasn't like, well, oh, now I've got to live up to it. That was the aim, but God knew we would never be able to do it. In fact, what he wanted to do was come to this consciousness, this realization that this holy standard of God was well beyond our reach, that it's something that we could never attain in our own strength and by our own works and by the things that we could do. Uh, let me show you a couple more scriptures. Galatians 3.19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seeds of whom the promise referred had come. Romans 5.20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So that might increase. And so hear this, the very moment we start using these laws that God gave in the Old Testament to create in Christians... Uh, a holy life, we're misusing it for the purpose that it was created. So the minute that you slip into this whole thing of, well, God, now I'm a Christian, I've got to be obedient to all these sets of rules and I've got to not make a mistake and I've got to walk on wire and I've got to really look out for everything that I'm doing and if I stuff up, then you're going to be angry with me. The moment that you do that, you are misusing the law for the purpose that it was created. It was never meant to make you holy. It was never meant to make you live right. 
It was never, it never had the power to help you live right. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that the power of sin is the law. Actually, so when we, so it's, isn't it, isn't it strange that we try and live right, we try and accomplish not sinning by bringing ourselves under the very thing that gives sin its power. Pennies will drop soon. It will drop soon. I'm just going to keep going with this for a bit. So the very thing that we go, okay, I need to, because hear this, God's aim is that we don't sin, right? To recreate us in the image of God. 1 John 2, 1 to 2 says, Dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. And then it goes on to say, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so that's a whole another thing. Next time I get to share, I might talk about works in relation to grace and how that pans out. But for now, that God's aim is for us to not sin. But the way we get there is very important. It's not by works. It's not by self-effort. It's not by us busting our gut. And if we put ourselves under these high expectations, then we're never going to actually see that holiness bear fruit in our life. Let me explain to you why and show you a few scriptures in regards to this as well. Um, but first, let me just tell you a little bit about my story. Because I was one who put myself completely under works, as most of the front row would remember quite vividly, because I wasn't very fun to be around. My, um, because people who put themselves under works, they're not fun to be around. They have high expectations on themselves. They have high expectations of other people. They have no grace for themselves. They have no grace for other people. And so it's just this high octane holiness, let's live right vibe that is just like, well, man, just settle down a little bit. It's, it's okay. And so I would, I, I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Maybe you can. I'm being sarcastic. I know you will be able to. Some of you are living it right now. You had, I had such a heart to do what was right in the eyes of God, which is good. It shows that I was transformed, born again, saved, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It's, good, it's a good desire to have. But I was so hung up on it that I would, if I made one mistake, it would be the end of the world. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be absolutely beating myself up to a pole. I remember having conversations with God based like this, God. You must be so angry with me right now. I can only imagine. God, I said I wasn't going to do this again. And yet I went and I did it again. God, if you give me one more chance, just one more chance, I promise you I won't ever do that again. I promise you I won't do it again. And I had this expectation of myself that I was trying to live up to. And then all of a sudden, I'd stuff up again. And it would escalate. Oh, God, I can, oh, man, you can, I, I can only imagine how angry you are this time. I mean, it was only two days ago that I said I wasn't going to do this again. And I've gone and done it again right straight away. God, you must be so angry. But, oh, God, maybe you've got enough grace. Maybe if you could, could you just give me one more chance? One more chance, God. And I, I promise I'll try and do better next time. And so it's this, um, I, I got into this cycle of, of being so conscious of sin in my life that I was totally unaware of the salvation in my life, of what God had delivered me out of, and the stance that I already had before God that I didn't have to work to achieve. 
And, um, and so I was, so this, the, this thing when we put ourselves under living and working to, a, to, a, to be approved by God, the only thing that that ever produces in your life is a greater awareness of you falling short, a greater awareness that you actually can't live up to that expectation. Because every time I started going close, I might do, do well for a couple of weeks, then I would make a mistake and I'll always come back to realizing just how, how short I fall of the grace of God and that, that standard of God, sorry, that, that really if we're going to do it in our strength, we need to live up to because he is a pure and holy and loving God. Let me um, read you another thing, uh, a few more scriptures. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Check this. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Isn't that incredible? That even the, the, the sacrifices in the Old Covenant that, that would make someone outwardly clean, it would only serve as a reminder of their sin. It never took away the guilt in their heart that they would come year after year to offer and offer just like you do day after day to offer good works to God, to offer you know, your good morality to God. And year, but year after year, the more they did that, they still didn't feel guilty. They still didn't feel less guilt. They still felt guilty. And, that's, and those offerings just reminded them. It was a reminder of sin. The law brings a a sin consciousness to your life and makes you realize and gets it drilled into you that you, are, that you fall short, that you're a sinner, that you aren't worthy. Um, but, let's read some scriptures about the but. But don't you love it that God didn't leave people realizing that they needed a savior without providing a savior? He provided the Savior. And it says he actually left the sin in the past uncovered until Christ came, unpunished until Christ came. And so his grace was even in the Old Testament. And so he, he, may, he got humankind to this place where they realized they f- fell short, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then as he promised, as his great plan of all time was, he sent Jesus. He sent the Savior so that we could now not stand at a distance from God and not be aware of our sin, which causes us to shrink back. But he sent a savior to take away the sin of the world. Remember, John the Baptist exclaimed, here is the lamb of God. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, um, you know, there's, there's more scriptures that talk about the old covenant not being able to clear our conscience. Uh, Hebrews 9, 9, it says, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Hebrews, but Hebrews 9.14 goes on to say, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How good is that? What about Hebrews 7.18-19? to 19? The former, former regulation... The law, the works-based law, is set aside because it was weak and useless. That's pretty strong, isn't it? 
It's not useless. We were useless. It was holy. It was amazing. But we uh, are not capable of living up to it. Uh, And the better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. How amazing is that, that we actually draw near to God? The way that we do this is not by works. In fact, it's regardless of works. That there's nothing that can stop you entering in to the presence of God. Nothing. Romans 8, there's nothing can separate us from the love of God. In fact, regardless of what you do, regardless of you falling short, as Luke said, knowing that you do fall short, knowing that you've fallen short today, knowing that you've fallen short last night, knowing that you're falling short tomorrow, still Jesus came and we enter in by faith in him because he did what we couldn't. And I think the greatest scripture, the greatest scripture that that shows that it's not on our merits, but on the sufficiency of Christ is Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. And it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with, um, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Right now, today, do you know what the, the high priest, only one person in the Old Testament could come into the presence of God and only once a year. Right now, anyone who has faith in Christ at any time can enter into the very presence of God, into the closest relationship with Him that could ever be had. Pastor Julie and Pastor Phil cannot have a great, a closer relationship with God than you. They may spend more time with Him and they may get to know Him more, but, but they don't have special access. They don't have this deep place in God that you can't go. You, where you are right now, whether you're here for the first time and have never even accepted Christ yet, or whether you've been here for 15 years, right now you have bold, confident access into relationship with Christ, into His very presence. You might say, well, I'm not worthy of that. I know you're not. Neither am I. You're not. But that's the difference between relationship and religion. That's one of the benefits of the grace of God is that because you're not worthy, Jesus Christ entered by his own blood, died on a cross, rose again, so that through faith in him, you can go into the presence of God with a clear conscience, not guilty. There's a big declaration over your life right now that says not guilty. It says no condemnation. It says free. It says clean. Your conscience before God right now, I don't know what you've done this week. I don't know what you haven't done this week. But I need, can I suggest if you're struggling, you need to stop coming before God based on your own merits because you'll never feel worthy. You'll only ever realize your shortfallings. You'll only ever realize your sin. You'll only ever realize that you can't live up to his standard. But Jesus Christ lived a life holy and pleasing to God, died on a cross, rose again, so that through faith in him and him alone, you may gain access to God. Let me read you one last scripture. Ephesians 3.12, if we can put that up. 
in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I'm telling you, I hope you have confidence before God tonight. I hope you're not second guessing yourself. I want to encourage you. I want to pray for a couple of different types of people just where you're standing tonight. I want to pray for you if you're here for the first time and you've never come into the presence of God. You've never felt worthy. You've never, in fact, your thought of what Christianity was, was religion, set of rules. I'm here to tell you tonight that it's not. It's about relationship with Him. Do not wait for the perfect time. You will never, you will never be able to come before Him on your own merits. But through faith in Christ tonight, you can know that you are connected to God, that you can draw near to Him, experience a love that you'll find nowhere else, experience a peace that you'll find nowhere else. And I want to just encourage Christians in the house to continually remind yourself that it's not based on you. Every time you feel down, even every time you feel unworthy, every time you feel useless, every time you feel worthless, just take heart that you are. But Christ isn't. You're not actually. You're not worthless. Useless maybe, not worthless, no. But Christ isn't. Christ isn't. He's the very opposite. So why don't we stand up really quickly. Let's just close our eyes. I just want to pray for anyone here tonight. You're here. You didn't even know how you got here. But you've heard a message that makes you feel at ease about God. You've heard a message that says, I can come before God just because Jesus died on a cross for me. The condemnation can be lifted. The guilt can be lifted from your life. Your conscience can be clear. Your conscience can be clean. All by coming before God and saying, God, forgive me. God, I believe in you, in your son Jesus, that he died on a cross, rose again. And so I want to just pray with you, if that's you here this evening. I just want to pray with you and say, and lead you through a prayer that says, God, I want to live with you. I want to draw near to you. I don't want to be at a distance from you anymore, God. I don't want to be away from you anymore. I want to be in connection with you, God. And so with every eye closed in this place, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand up really quickly and to say, Garth, that's me. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that just says, fantastic, thanks? Is there anyone else? Maybe for the first time, maybe there's a lot of people putting their hand up that have, have believed in God and have been saved, but they keep coming before God by their efforts. Is there anyone else, a Christian, someone for the first time, that might just need to say, God, I'm going to stop trusting in my own efforts. I need your forgiveness. God, I need to be connected with you in a mightier way. Is there anyone else? Just lift your hand up really quickly. And I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? It's going to give you another 10 seconds because I just want to make sure that you have every opportunity here to be connected to God, to know that you can draw near to Him with full assurance of faith this evening. Is there anyone else? Just lift your hand up really quickly that I can see. And I'll pray with you. And you can leave here tonight in connection with God.